left center, deep, gone, Brewers lead it. And a swing and a miss, he struck him out. Down the line, and that's the ball game. Hey, Brewer fans, welcome to the post-mortem episode of Brewers Unfiltered. I'm Brad Ford, the social media manager for the Milwaukee Brewers, and I'm joined, as always, by... Adam McAlvey, who's potentially more upset and distressed than I've ever seen him. <laughs> and then you know, Tim Dillard's just normal. I think you should explain that just postmortem <laughs> is like a phrase that we use in baseball and that nobody actually perished. Yeah. No, there were no perishings except for the season. The season is over. It ended, of course, with a Phillies victory over the Astros to start the final three game series of the season on Monday. Once they won that, it was done for the Brewers and they just finished out their two games, went through the motions, won one, lost one in the most fitting way that the 2022 Brewers could lose a game. And now we're here. Now we're here. Adam, <laughs> are, are you doing okay? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I mean, the, it's, uh, you know, minus that blown save in the finale when, you know, they had decided that why pitch Devin Williams and risk something weird, which we had literally just seen with the D-backs pitcher. It looked like a bad injury. Um, Mm -hmm. they would have tied the Phillies (laughs) in the standings, um, which is really interesting. And uh, it makes you inevitably think back to all those games that got away. You And we do this in baseball every year, and I'm sure fans are doing it now. You think back to the games that got away, particularly that Marlin series, which we should dig into. But you never think about the games that you came back and won out of nowhere that maybe you shouldn't have won. Somehow the, the, the games that got away get more weight. Um, and, and that's just the way that it happens. But really, um, they put themselves in a position where it came down to that, that Marlin series, essentially, and three winnable games that they didn't win. And, and that was the difference. Um, and in my opinion, you know, I don't, I, I've tried not to like harp on the trade deadline because I think the season is much more complicated than blaming the trade deadline, even though I, that's going to be literally what everyone remembers about this season, in, in my opinion. Um, but the fingerprints of that were all over those, those losses because you didn't have trust in enough guys ahead of Devin Williams. So you've got Freddie Peralta pitching the eighth inning. Um, his first relief appearance all season is a two-run lead um, in the eighth inning of a must-win game, um, suboptimal in my opinion. And he made kind of a, a maybe a, a regrettable choice to throw a fastball to a hitter that they know um, can do a lot of damage on a fastball. I'll be guys yeah. Then the next day um, with, with Corbin Burns, they make what they felt like was an obvious decision to go to Devin Williams after 103 or uh, after 103 pitches. Yeah. From Corbin Burns um, in a shutout and Devin Williams got the job done, but he threw a lot of pitches in the process. And then that took a chunk for the next day when Williams went out there and he's been fantastic for the Brewers, but he suffers a huge blown save in a game they couldn't lose. And the, that, that is partly influenced by all the pitches he threw the day before. So this is me rambling a long time to say that I think the fingerprints of earlier decisions really uh, 
showed up in that Marlins series loss. And that's the series. If we pinpoint any one thing of why they're not getting ready to play a playoff game, um, it, it comes back to that for me. So I, I don't want to harp on it incessantly. At some point, everyone needs to let that go. Um, but it, it just, I think it, it came back to bite them. You know, I, I've seen one, we talk about the losses that you didn't want to happen, you know, came back and shocked you. The one I see fans keep going back to is Hater's first blown save. Yeah. Which happened to come against the Phillies. Yep. And that ended up being the difference in the tiebreaker because if Hater doesn't blow his first save, he, uh, you know, you, you have the tiebreaker on the Phillies there. And if you win yesterday, you're good to go. So it's funny, though, like you said, it's never the ones that never thinking back to the losses that or wins that should have been losses. It's always the losses that you wanted to be wins, mm-hmm. especially because, you know, Hader was obviously going to blow a save. He had a ridiculous start to the season, like where he was untouchable. So but yeah, definitely really tough when you look at the last week because the opportunity was there in those last 10 games and as you just relived they didn't take advantage of the chance they had tim what are your thoughts on how the final week went down wow that's i i mean they should have made playoffs they should have um i but to sit there and highlight a a certain pitcher in a certain moment and and kind of hinge all of the playoffs hopes and dreams on that on those moments is kind of like blaming that lonesome kicker Mm -hmm. you know um, which baseball, like, I, I think they had so many games they could have won. They had 51 games this year that were decided by one run. They could have done way better in those games, dating back to April, uh, May, June, July. There were so many, there was 18 extra inning ball games. They could have done something different and they didn't. And they get, they kept getting chances. It was like playing Monopoly. It's like community chess. No chance. They kept getting chances. You're like, they're still in this thing. And then that's when you start seeing guys, okay, well, Devin Williams throws his, what, 11th changeup to uh, De La Cruz in two games and ends up giving up a single and a couple of runs. And so that's what we think about. No, I, as a baseball player, I think about all of the close games that they, they could easily have won had, they've, had there been some sort of strategic bl- blueprint to win close games. Mm-hmm. I, I have a hard time watching games where uh, over and over and over again, you have no idea. If we can't see a pattern, it, it looks like the guy goes to the plate for the Brewers and doesn't know the situation because he wasn't told, hey, here's what we're trying to do. And, you know, you have a guy on second with nobody out. And if you hit a scud missile to third base right at somebody, that does nothing. So that's what I think of. I don't think of the guys like, well, he blew this save. We, you know, we lost this advantage or this guy blew the save. This is the game. Season was on the line. No, the season's on the line in April, May, June, July, mm-hmm. August. September's just, you know, kind of the end there where you still have chances. So, yeah, it could have been way different all across the board. Um, I hope going into the offseason, they look at this stuff. I, it's not hard to look at and go, we need to be more strategic on late inning or just knowing that, okay, we're not going to score a lot of runs. We need to get some people in scoring position early on purpose. I'm not saying everyone in the world has to bunt or everyone in the world has to hit a sack fly, but that stuff helps. And when good teams do it and they execute it more than the rest. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of a bummer that we have to hinge everything on 
you know, two amazing closers that did their job all year long, except for a couple of times. And then that's what we, you know, harp on. So I don't know. I, I, I'm sorry for my, my mini rant. No, no, but, but you, but you're right. You're right, Tim. And, and I, by no means hang the season on Freddie Peralta and Devin Williams. No, no, that's, no, no. no. I, I'm just saying it, it's, it's a, it's a, Hey, they still had a chance and these guys, you know, made mistakes or whatever. Well, you, you made that, you made, I think a really good point is, is two things. One is that scoring some runs here and there would have helped all of this, everything. Yeah. And so the one thing I would caution everybody against though, is like, Oh, the, I think the Brewers offense wore a lot of criticism all year long. That's a baseball problem, not a Brewers problem. And we've said that on this podcast before, um, go dig through the Brewers offensive numbers relative to the rest of the, of the league. Uh, and you will find that they were an above average offense in MLB. And that might surprise people a lot. And does that mean they were great? Like, no, it, it, there's, is, there's lots of room for improvement, but it's not as simple as the offense was bad. It's, it's way more complicated uh, than that. And the other thing I think Tim said that was really wise because it's something that came up with Christian Yelich in his uh, long session that he did with us after they were eliminated. Um, sort of that the idea of like an identity, like he's the way he put it was in past years, they sort of knew what they needed to do to win. They had a kind of a formula to win. And I don't know if that was as simple as like get the ball to Brad Boxberger, Williams and Hader with the lead in the seventh inning. It was a little more than that, but it was like they they sort of had a they knew each other, what their strengths were, and they knew how to win games. And that never developed this year for whatever re- reason, bunch of different reasons, I'm sure. And I thought it was interesting that it's something that that Christian Yelich brought up uh, in his his post game. I thought it was interesting how you said I said something wise, wise, very wise, <laughs> wise. You have yeah. a long, you have a long beard. You're by definition yeah. wise. I'm definitely a Mr. Turtle. I'm not Mr. Owl. <laughs> All right, let's let's get to some positive thoughts real quick. What are our thoughts on the season overall? What was good, Tim? Um, I tell you what was good. The last eight games, the starters threw. Mm-hmm. I mean, when it comes down to it, and you have to win ball games, the starters did their job. And I did my job looking at the numbers, and here they are. And this is despite Corbin Burns' last outing of just going three innings, which he could easily have gone six, I think. He was cruising. Um, yeah, final eight games. We're looking at 42 and a third innings pitched by the starters. 17 hits, only three extra base hits. Four earned runs, only six walks, 55 strikeouts. That goes to a .85 ERA. .85 ERA. And you know what their record was over those eight games? I didn't get that far in my research. So I don't really know. <laughs> well, okay, win against the Cardinals. But, yeah, uh, they yeah. took only one of three against the Marlins. So there's two and three, yeah, and then so two, three, three and five three against three, the Diamondbacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three and five. So what no, was it's it? four and four three in and the final eight games. Four and four. This four is four. easily yeah. our best segment of any episode right i can't here. do math i was told there would be I'm, no math no math yeah anyway i just i brought that up to say you when it was crunch time the guys were there they stepped up and they did their job um what i liked about the season uh corbin burns finding um he, when he scuffled he figured it out i, I don't feel like he even scuffled at all yeah. last year I, I think to win cy young if you hit a rough patch um it's almost like you're out of contention like you have two bad games in a row you're out corbin burns didn't have that he 
to this year, he scuffled a few times and got right back on track. And props to him for reaching um, over 200 innings. Only eight pitchers in Major League Baseball threw over 200 innings this season. Uh, only two pitchers got 33 starts, I believe. I thought I wrote that down. I have four. no idea. Maybe two um, in the NL, but four, four in baseball is still the point. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty amazing stuff that you're talking. So props to him. Um, but I think overall, I think they see the talent that they have across the board. I, I do. I see it. I think Garrett Mitchell is just the beginning. I think they have these guys in AAA that are going to be impact players. Um, and they're going to become a different team. I think you saw the stolen bases going up. You saw the walks going up. Um, I think they're going to find new and inventive ways. But again, they need to be strategic. But watching this team as a whole, there was, there was glimmers where I'm like, how do they lose a game? Because they're so good. And then there's other games where I'm like, how do they win a game? <laughs> so there was a lot of highs and lows in this, but um, definitely an entertaining bunch. And they had more fun than anybody. Uh, yeah, I can't wait for 2023 only because it's going to look different. But at the same time, uh, it's still going to be a good, very good product on the field. Adam, tell us you're good. Well, Tim nailed one one thing, I think, in, in that, you know, even if there are big changes, like let's say they make a, a big trade of one of these um, controllable pitchers because they feel they they have to it's still going to be a team that comes back next year with a strength of starting pitching that's going to be the identity of this team so the fact that they finished the way they did I think Tim hit on a really good one I actually thought about this because I I didn't want it to be all doom and gloom today so I I like went back through the season and came up with some quick ones of like to to remind everyone maybe that it 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 ended disappointing but it was like very good (laughs) there was like a lot of good things that happened Starting with number one, that there was baseball. Like, remember how this year began when we were all sitting in a lockout and we had no idea what was going to happen. And some of us went down to the minor league mini camp just because we wanted to see some ball players, and no one knew what was going to happen. I think Corbin Burns starting. And Adam and I met Jay Savina in his sunglasses. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that could block out the sun for five players all at once if they put them if they stood close enough because they were very yep large. Uh, Burns pitching the first and last game and having a sensational follow-up to the Cy Young, which is not easy to do. Within nine days early, uh, Willie Adamas tied the RBI record with seven and then Rowdy at eight. And almost more when that near grand slam was like two feet from going over the wall. Would that have been a 12, a nine, an 11 RBI day? I think 10. I need to go back. 10 RBIs. Yeah, yeah. because it was a double and two got in. Uh, but okay. it was off a position player. So? So, well, it's still kind of, <laughs> don't rain on my parade, Brad. I'm trying to be positive here. I, I reminded of Rowdy of that of all. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, you set the record, but it was <laughs> off a position player. So. Oh, I bet he loved that. Uh, he's a good sport. You uh, know? Christian Yelich hit for another cycle against the Reds. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon ends an 0 for 32 with a walk off hit against the Padres. That was a really fun night at the ballpark. Josh Hader got to 40 straight scoreless appearances dating to last year to match the all-time record. Uh, Council passing Phil Garner and they, uh, Dan Larea and others put together that crazy video with Coach K and Nick Saban and all those heavy hitters. That was really cool. Uh, the City Connects were everywhere in the ballpark. So even if some people maybe oh, yeah. hated them because they were so different, tons of people really loved them. And that was something good in the middle of the season. Uh, the Fenway Series. I think they won... I think they won the last like five games that they wore the city. Well, what the hell, Tim? You should have told me to wear them in the Marlins series. (laughs) I even said it in the press box. They were playing a game. They won three in a row. And I was like, if they win this game, they're going to wear the city connects the rest of the year. They didn't. 
They lost the next day. I, well, there we go. Didn't there we they saw. wear Sorry, the I'm not superstitious, City but. Connect in both Cardinals games on the road, and they lost the first one, yeah. Tim. So I, I'm yeah. sorry. I have to disagree with you. No, go back and look over the last, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the other things on my list are the Fenway series when they were hot coming out of the break. That was a great series. The jolt that Garrett Mitchell gave them that could play next year. Uh, Yelch hitting a 499 footer. I mean, come on, Statcast. You can't give him one more foot. Which was funny like, because was Let It was immediately broken, though. It was like the <laughs> uh, next yeah, like week, a, well, CJ you know, Crone hit a yeah, 507. Yeah. <laughs> well, they just had to get a home guy back on top of that list. And then Willie Adamas um, hitting more home runs than any short as a shortstop than any player in franchise history and, you know, getting to hear his name next to Robin Young. So, like, it, there was good stuff. There, there was good stuff, and I think that the disappointment level is really high. Um, but, like, you know, I've been around here a while. Brad, you've been here around here a while. Tim, you've been around here a while, too, because you've been to the Brewers organization for 100 years. There have been some years where, like, an 86-win season where you go down to the end would be looked at as, like, some entertaining baseball. And there was entertaining baseball, even if it ended in a super uh, disappointing way. Yeah, it, it definitely was a season that of like vast highs and lows. It'd be one where, you know, <laughs> uh, one day I'd be leaving the ballpark screaming, anything is possible. Um, <laughs> Wait, did you actually then do the, that? No. <laughs> Everything is awesome. No, I did not. Yeah. Um, and then the next day I'd be leaving the ballpark with tears in my eyes saying, we're never going to win another ball game again. You know, highs and lows. That also might have been from the stress of being a parent this year. Who knows? But it sure felt like it was related to the baseball team. So I kept thinking, though, about, like, all the things that had happened this year and about how, you know, over 2 million attendance was once this, like, banner year where, like, the club celebrated having that many fans at the ballpark. Over, hit going 81 and 81 almost had a parade in downtown Milwaukee. Uh, It's funny to see how far things have gone. And as the organization has said, I think that's a good thing that fans have high expectations for the first time in 20 years, 30 years, where they want more on a consistent basis. But at the same time, if you try to look at it through that lens, it definitely was a better season than many would give it credit for, where only two games really didn't matter. Yeah, like to me, it's like we're in this era where everything is, is has to be black and white and you have to go all in on your take. It can be true at the same time as Rowdy Telez said yesterday that pressure is a privilege. And as Craig Council said, like the expectations, they should welcome that. They should welcome the disappointment because it means that you thought there was something better there. Um, and it can be at the same time true that this was a supremely disappointing season at a time in which these are really important years because the window with these pitchers, they've never had pitching like this ever in the history of the franchise. And the window is closing now. Um, It's not closing immediately, but Burns and Woodruff are the two main dudes. And I think Lauer is in the same boat here and Adrian Hauser is in the same position. Two more years of control for all those guys and Willie Adamas as well. So the window is not closing right now. Next year, you know, there's... There is opportunity ahead, but to have it slip away this year is a really big deal. And frankly, I think it goes back to last year. 
being such a big deal. And the decisions, you know, they they were just steamrolling to the postseason and got everybody rested up the way they wanted. And as a result, went ice cold. I shouldn't say as a result. That's that's an opinion. But but the fact is they rested everybody up and went ice cold. And whether those two are connected, you decide. Um, that was a huge moment as well. And because if you go by the, you know, the bite of the apple theory, which is make a really good team, build a really, build a really good team, but keep the future in mind. And the idea being make the postseason as many times as possible, get in that lottery and, and try to win it in one of those times. That's the theory. And when you miss, um, that has, that, that's, that hurts. Adam, you were in the clubhouse yesterday. You talked about some of the quotes from the guys as they kind of looked back on things. What was the overall reaction of mood like as they packed up their lockers and got ready to you know, watch teams from the postseason? Well, everybody can relate. Well, most if you can't relate, you were a bad student. But it was the last day of school. It was the last day of school, and they were packing up. And, um, you know, tough loss yesterday on any other day. But yesterday it was a pretty, you know, sort of hugs and goodbyes because that team will never be the same. Um, even if the core is back, it won't be the same club. The Craig Council had that soup quote a couple of years ago where it's like you make the same soup and it's a little different every time, even if you try to make the same soup. And next year's soup will be a little bit different than this one, and, and that's, that's fine. So I don't think it was doom and gloom. Frankly, I think that's my interaction with fans. That's one of the things that bothered fans this year is that nobody seemed to get mad. Um, they want people to, like, show some emotion. Um, and Council's not going to do that. He's the manager. He has to keep everybody up because the, they were still in it mathematically. Um, the players are in this mindset where they're trying to, you know, play well every day, and that means coming in with a positive attitude and expecting to win. And nobody else stepped forward to, like, get mad. And I, I think that made fans even more mad. <laughs> so I, um, there was not a lot of, there, there was disappointment yesterday, but it was also like, we have a good team. As Corbin Burns said, his, his, his opinion is if the same team runs it back next year, they fare a lot better because they, in the end, came together a little bit. And I don't think that that happened as much as they would have liked earlier. Tim, when you're uh, packing up after a disappointing season, kind of what's what's the mindset? Are you are players over it or like can you can you walk us through what that's kind of like from the player side? Sure. Um, you know, it kind of hits you really fast. The game's over and you walk in the clubhouse and you realize, oh, I'm not going back out again. You know, this is the last time you put your spikes on, last time you put your jersey on. And usually about the time you're taking your jersey off and throwing it in the laundry bin, you're like, do I throw it in the laundry bin? Do I do I keep my jersey? <laughs> you know, do I, where's my bag? <laughs> you know, like, do I keep my belt? And you're looking around, you're going, do I got to unpack, you know, do I got to put away my locker? Like, it's just a lot of, I don't know, you, you know it's going to happen, but it doesn't hit you till you're actually doing it. And then you're like, well, how do I get my stuff to the car? You know, in the big leagues, you got a little golf cart, a saw a couple of guys on the golf carts, you know, getting driven up to the parking lot and, you know, they're just trying to get their stuff together and you don't really get to decompress what just happened. Like what you just went through, it, it takes several days. You know, once you get back in your home setting, you sit around, 
and you start thinking, golly, remember that game? Man, I wish I'd have done this or, oh, this was a fun game. And, and then you start relaxing a little bit. Um, I hope these guys will be able to go through that and, and take a few weeks off. Uh, the best thing you can do for a pitcher after pitching so many innings, take a month off and don't do anything. Probably position players too. Uh, just let your body and your mind heal itself, um, and and then push and then push on and start you know training again. But to sit there and think that you're going to be able to figure out everything that went wrong while you're sitting in the clubhouse or sitting in the dugout, like it's just not going to happen. Um, it's it's a process, and you feel weird. I remember I remember one year we lost out, in, I guess 2011. And we're all trying to figure out what to do. And, uh, you know, they were like giving away supplements, right? Like you have all these supplements in the, in the, in the strength. Uh, what is that called? Weight room? I'm not in there a lot. <laughs> and so they got all this stuff, but it's, but it's going to expire. So like, what are you going to do with it? So, you know, they're like, hey, do you want all this like, you know, protein or glutamine <laughs> or whatever that's regulated by the NSF? It's NSF approved. And you're sitting there like, when would I need what's going on? They're like, yeah, it's going to expire. You're going to need it in the off season for training. You're like, oh, okay. So you start adding that to your bag, like stuff you don't even think about starts coming to the forefront. How do you get out of your lease? You know, is there gas in my car? If I'm driving home, am I shipping my car? Like all of this stuff kind of comes crashing down on you. Uh, and you're just kind of like, let me get through this. Let me get through this. And then it's only after that, when you're sitting and you're relaxing that you can actually think about the season, the highs, the lows, the good, the bad, and, and put it in perspective. Yeah. That 2011 is one of my clearest memories of covering this team tim do you remember the fielder kids bawling in the clubhouse yeah yeah because they we, we didn't want to leave a lot of guys didn't want to leave i sat me and casey mcgee uh maybe axford we sat in the in the kitchen for a while i mean we're all getting text message from <laughs> from family like you, you're coming out of the clubhouse like we don't want to leave it was, it was tough you know you kind of sit there and you're like you start reminiscing, you know, like we're at the bar or something like, hey, remember that time? Bill Brasky, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of what it feels like. And, and you wish that there was um, something after the season. Like you almost wish like everyone could get back together in a week. Right. Like let's don't leave in you know, three or four days, maybe a week. Let's come back together and then and then see what happens. Almost like you get to reminisce because like, you don't really get to do that in that capacity during the season. It's only after the season you start trying to, you know, talk about that kind of stuff. So I don't know. It's it was a hard thing. There was a lot of guys that were sitting around not doing much. A couple of guys probably were like all packed up like see ya. Yeah. <laughs> remember, for sure. I mean yeah, I remember Grinky was like, we're all sitting there still in our uniforms and Grinky's like showered up, ready to go, got his bag. He's like, all right guys, see ya. <laughs> hey, where's Grinky? Uh, he left an hour ago. Oh, uh, I, here's one thing where I, this year is a little different because it struck me yesterday that the Brewers have not played a non-consequential game since 2016, 2017, they finished on the road and left. And then the other years were playoff years. And like last year you finish in Atlanta and then it's like, boom, gone. And it's over this year. They actually, we're doing this. We're talking here on Thursday morning. The clubhouse is actually open all day today and tomorrow. So I think some guys will be in there kind of like, closing up and doing whatever and hanging out and talk. It's, it's a different ending this year than it's been for years past. It's maybe not quite as abrupt because they had two days to process it. And now because they're at home, they get a chance to, uh, you know, sit and, and do some of that reminiscing. All right. We need to take a break. When we return, I have good news that I wanted to share with Adam and Tim, but now I kind of don't want to. But we're also going to reminisce on some of our favorite moments of the season, so stay tuned. 
And we're back. I have some good news. Adam, Tim, no trivia this week. We're, we're just going to spend yeah. it. Oh, that is We're just going to spend news. it reminiscing. Oh, so let's start with this. The Brewers had a lot of wild games this year for good and bad. Tim, since Adam listed out like his 50 favorite moments, <laughs> I think. Which yeah, was right? your favorite game of the year? Favorite game of the year? I, I mean... Pretty much any Brandon Woodruff game after he came back from the IL was pretty awesome to watch. Corbin Burns, um, obviously. But one game that I just, and we've talked about on the podcast too many times, and the people are probably going to be like, Tim Dillard likes, you know, playing small ball or whatever. I'm not saying it. I, I love the fact this team hits home runs. I love that. And they walk a ton. I think there's a correlation there. Um, but I love it when they can recognize the moment and they'll do whatever it takes to win the moment. They won't die on the hill of we're going to swing for the fence. And it goes back. I had to look it up. April 28th. Uh, they were in Pittsburgh. You already know what I'm going to talk about. There's one out in the ninth. Pitch, uh, Christian Yelich pinch hit walks up there, lays down a bunt, just a simple little bunt beats it out. It's a single. And what led to after that Wong hits a single Narvaez hits an opposite field single. McCutcheon hits an opposite field single. They win the game. That right there, I was so surprised in one way and in another way so encouraged because I saw this team was about to do whatever it takes to win a ball game in whatever situation that was. That wasn't the case for the rest of the year. (laughs) It lasted for a little while, a week or two, I think. Um, But I remember that right there was a turning point. I was like, this team can be as good as they want to be. Um, not long after that's when you start seeing some of the pitchers get injured. But, um, anyway, I, that game right there, I thought honestly was going to be a turning point, uh, in the, in like just putting this team from, from just not just a playoff team, but like a deep in the playoff team. So I don't know. That's not very, I didn't really do a lot of that's research. A great you sent me one. Rundown, I, what are you like, talking about? Why would you say that? That's a great choice. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just, it, it, it's, it, it stuck with me because it said a lot about everyone involved and it said a lot about that that dugout and what they were trying to do. Uh, maybe it didn't carry over as long as I thought it was going to carry on, but um, I thought that was a good moment. You know, that reminds me, though, Hunter Renfro not only had his first sacrifice bunt of the year, but his only two of his career this season, yep. Bunter Renfro. So talking about small ball, uh, you know, they did end up using it later down the stretch. Adam. Pick your favorite moment of the year, favorite game of the year. <laughs> Mine was not a not a good game. It was an 18 to 4 Brewers win, May 4th, when Rowdy had all the RBIs and almost had 10 RBIs. It was the first game of the dugout bell. Mm. And I love hmm. gambits like that because it's something to write about and something fun. And I think if you look between the lines of all the quotes over the last three and four days, stuff like that was missing this year. And good baseball teams are not good because they have dugout bells and gauntlet gloves or whatever. What do you call that thing? Infinity, (laughs) whatever it was. You love Marvel. Don't act like you don't. Uh, They're not good because (laughs) the game, the the 2011 Brewers were not good because they had a blue doll. uh, But something wasn't there with this team that they tried to manufacture and it didn't happen for whatever reason. And um, that was where it was really happening, where they were together as a team. Um, so that was a, a moment that that stands out to me as kind of my favorite of the year when the, when the bell made its debut. I think my favorite 
was the second Keston Hira walk-off home run. And what I really yeah. like about it wasn't necessarily the moment, but the post-game, where he demands on doing his interview with Sophia with Garrett Mitchell. Mm-hmm. He gives, you know, Garrett has his, like, a rival game where he hits the big, you know, game-tying home run. He he calls him out. Three members of the team, including William Brent Suter, come out and give a Gatorade bath to Garrett. It was just this interesting moment of seeing like the team being like, hey, you're you're one of us. You're welcome. You were a huge part of this win and everyone going out of their way to acknowledge them. And it gave me a similar feeling to when the whole clubhouse waited for Vogie to come off the field. Not quite to that level, but a similar moment. And I just really like those stories where you can see the guys really being a brotherhood. So that was my favorite. That was a good one, too, because Keston had just gotten called back up from AAA. And, you know, anytime you want to make a splash, I mean, you get a chance and you take advantage of it. It just feels good. It gives validation for the management putting faith and making a decision to, you know, hey, we're going to go with this guy. And then the guy delivers. Everybody looks good. Everybody wins. That was a good moment. I remember that one. All right, Adam, let's get it down to your favorite play. Well, I have a feeling what... you guys are going to say, I mean, the play of the year was pretty clear. So I'll leave that one alone. And I will say Bunter Renfro. Yeah, that's a good one too. Um, (laughs) For some reason, the, this is like maybe a personal thing, Brad, you'll know, we, we would joke throughout the year about this play Hobie Milner made in San Diego (laughs) way back when. And there were so many things about that one. That was one of the times where the guys were kind of covering for Josh Hader because he was needed at home and, filling his responsibilities there. And they came together really well in that series and and won a series against the Padres, a big series. And Hobie Milner made this play coming off the mound to his left, spinning, kind of a tough play, I think, for lefty. And then through to second and up in the press box, we were like, oh, God, no. And it turned into a double play and like a really good moment. And for some reason, we kept talking about that play over and over, partly because our friend Kurt Hogue, who covers the Brewers for the Journal Sentinel, said on Twitter that, you know, he wasn't all that surprised because he'd noticed in spring training that Hobie Milner uh, d- is really good in PFP, which is like just the most insane statement I've ever heard. There's no way he noticed that in spring training. <laughs> that is completely made up. And we gave Kurt kind of the, you know, we anytime someone would make a play, we'd be like, Kurt, you know, what do you think about, think back to spring training, what'd you see? So um, that, that play stands out to me. Tim, play of the year. Oof. I th- I, number one, that I didn't know that was a big a deal as far as you know where they were in the standings. I forgot they were covering for Hater, but that that play by Milner was fantastic. I was in the booth calling that game, and when he turned to go to second, I, I'm pretty sure I'm on film going <laughs> like I, you're watching the guys run, and I and I do know you know don't make fun of Kurt like he they they do this stuff almost early on in the season every home series the start of it they would do pfps and so yeah you're not going to be a sidearm guy and not be able to field your position we had seen him field his position so there was that was not in question it was just the difficulty of the play where this guy has to like a really tight area and for him to make that strong a throw and make that play was super impressive so obviously yes that's a good one i really like the omar narvaez play where he fields that bunt has no play at first this was only like what a week or two ago and does like an arm fake to first. Do y'all remember this one? Oh, I wish I would have thought about it longer. And the guy just ran around third because there were two outs and he just tagged him? No. Nothing? Yeah, it was a great one. 
what where was it? was it the Cardinals series? I might have missed I can't this one. remember. It's Cart. been super recent though. Yeah. Yeah, he fielded a bunt. They didn't have a play. He faked it to first, and the guy that was on second was just going to try to score because there were two outs. Anyway, that I love heads up plays, mm-hmm. so that one was good. Um, but one thing that just sticks out in my mind is the Hunter Renfro when he ran from right field to center field <laughs> and picks up the ball and hoses it in. And I forgot who Willie catches it. I thought Willie Thomas got it. Yeah, and throws yeah throws out the runner at home just because. Nobody. I mean, you could draw this play up 10 times. You're going to have nine right fielders not be there. So for Hunter Renfro to be there, just not only was it a great play, but just the, the baseball IQ and the sense of uh, being at the right place at the right time and knowing your job, that's, in, that, that's incredible. Incredible play. Look, when you look back on play of the years, it's always defensive plays, which is funny. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's Jonathan Davis breaking his neck. It is. It's Jonathan Davis 100%. breaking his neck oh, yeah. in Tampa 100%. Bay. <laughs> there, yes, there's no doubt. Um, because that was the obvious play of the year. My, I'm going to give you a second, and it's one people didn't really talk about because it came so close to the Jonathan Davis breaking his neck in Tampa Bay. But it is Tyrone Taylor climbing the foul wall yeah. in Wrigley yeah. and making that catch. I was going to say that one, yeah, Brad. It, it was amazing. That level of difficulty is what you're talking about on those plays. Yeah. Like that was sheer athleticism on Davis. Like that's just, you know, people don't really catch that ball. I remember Statcast was like, "No, this is a catchable ball." No, it wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> like it shouldn't have been caught by a human, and it was. And the Tyrone Taylor, when you're over there by the wall over there, it's just concrete. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and to have that awareness and to come out of it, you know, healthy. Well, in the Tyrone <laughs> Taylor ball, wasn't that in the doubleheader sweep of the Cubs where the Brewers went? Their best fifty game start ever yep. with that Memorial yep, Day. It was sweep. the makeup. That game. was the high point of yep. the whole year. Yeah. All right. Good one. Who impressed you most, Tim, on the field? Who impressed me most on the field? Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not uh, that bad a question. Well, he's he's like ah. Well, the, Ryan Woodley really had it covered. Well, if you say impressed, it's almost like you didn't think they could do it. So I, I guess I'm thinking, well, I, I was impressed with Burns and Woodruff, but you've seen how good they've been. So you're kind of like, eh. I think Devin Williams, uh, just showing his uh, versatility of, he had 26 holds, 15 saves. He pitched three times in September, throwing uh, multiple innings. He threw back-to-back-to-back days three times um, and, and was effective. You know, one of the best relievers in baseball. Thought that was a really good one. I will say Garrett Mitchell, just flat out getting on base. His his on base percentage, I think he ended with three sixty four, which three sixty is very good for on base percentage. And he had stolen bases galore, which would put him on pace if he played, you know, almost every game next year. Put him on like sixty stolen base mark. That's in, that's unbelievable. So that is really good. But I'm going to go actually with Peter Strzelecki. <laughs> just the story is there. Um, he pitched in every situation imaginable. There were games where you thought, man, the Brewers don't have a chance. And he would come in and just stop everything. And there's nothing super flashy. He's not throwing 100 miles an hour. Uh, but his slider is fantastic. He's around the zone and has a great intellect on what hitters are looking for in certain situations. I know this gets overlooked. It's hard to quantify that. But he would come in with guys on base. And as a hitter, you're going, all right, I'm going to look for a pitch I can hit you know, in this direction. And he would foil that. He's like, I am not going to give you that pitch you're looking for. And I love that. I, I, and so he, he was a great story. Didn't even pitch a game, I don't think, in uh, 
spring training, right? He didn't even pitch in a big league spring training game. So nope. um, I Zero. like that quote. There was a quote uh, in the clubhouse yesterday. He's like, I hope I get to pitch in a spring training game next year. Yeah, I think he got that one <laughs> locked up, bud. Yeah. <laughs> Adam? That's a good, great call. I love that. I love, And Craig Council said also that he was kind of a glue guy in the clubhouse, which I wow. didn't know, but he was one of the guys that connected the different groups, which is, which is cool. But look, I'm saying Corbin Burns. Who impressed me most? Corbin Burns. To win the Cy Young with the, you know, such a special season, coming off a, a short in 2020 where he broke through after a 2019 that was completely miserable and led him to completely remake his arsenal, his mental approach to the game, everything. To back it up in 2022 with a terrific season that's worthy of Cy Young consideration. He's not a favorite because certain guys like Alcantara were just, you know, head and shoulders above everybody else, but he's in the conversation um, for, for people's ballots in the top five. So uh, just so impressive. Um, And Brad said this, even when he went through that stretch where he gave up some runs, he corrected it and he ended his season really strong, which bodes well for next season. And first brewer in franchise history to take home his league's, you know, strikeout leader award thing. Lead his league in strikeouts. Like, and first first Milwaukee, first big league pitcher in Milwaukee's history to do it because the Braves never had a strikeout leader either. Warren Spahn led, led the league four straight years for the Boston Braves. And then they moved to Milwaukee and I think Robin Roberts took it over or something like that. So, yeah, first Milwaukee big leaguer to lead the league in strikeouts. Y'all do way too much research. Uh, <laughs> you know, I really liked, I was going to go with, you know, like a Woodruff. But I really liked Tim's statement of, like, to be impressed, it has to be from someone you didn't really expect it from. So I'm going Hobie Milner. Especially Hobie. because the first half of the season, he was the fireman. You put him on with people on base and people weren't scoring. In fact, Ezra, the producer of the show, and I would always joke like Hobie was more effective if you put him on with runners on than he was if he started the inning off cleanly. So, yeah, Hobie Milner, uh, kind of one of those stories. He has that like Zach Davies-esque of like looking like a a Joe Everyman. Uh, he, he doesn't necessarily have the uh, uh, traditional... Uh, physique of a big league pitcher kind of stringy but he comes out there he sidearms whips it gets his uh, strikeouts gets the swings and misses gets bad contact and he makes good plays in pfps <laughs> yeah <So>. big pfp <laughs> pfp star we have our in the bb the local bbwa puts out our you know we have awards every year so we voted on them and i think they're coming out tomorrow friday and one of them is the unsung hero award so I will just reveal here on the show that Hobie Milner was my unsung hero vote. And we'll see. Whoa. We'll see who takes home that hardware, even oh. though we don't have hardware. We have no budget. You know, let's <laughs> give one more sticker. award because we're talking, <laughs> we're talking good guys. And Hobie, at least for me, there were a lot of good guys on this team. But Hobie was the guy who like always checked in on like before every game would be like, hey, how's your daughter? Hey, how are you doing? Like, hey, how's social media? He was always so friendly, so kind. So he's my good guy. Adam, who's your good guy? 
Ooh, there's, there's many, I think Brandon. So again, I'll reveal my vote. Brandon Woodruff got my vote for the good guy award, which is another of our local chapter for, awards. And he won it last back year. As to well. backs, yeah. So yeah. we'll see how that one comes out. I think Willie Adamas is in that conversation. Every, for us, the writers, Tim remembers this. We, we'd, we'd have certain go-to guys on a bad night um, where they get, you know, they get one hit or whatever. You, you need guys to kind of speak for, hey, you know, what Max Scherzer had going that day or whatever the topic of the day was. And Willie Adamas was extremely accessible for us for that on those kinds of nights. And it's a really important, it's just, we, we need guys like that. And he came through. Um, and I want to shout out Rowdy Telez too, because how many times this year was there someone in the stands? He was kind of like the, he had a little bit of a cult hero following to him. Plus he had 35 homers that helped. So it wasn't just cult <laughs> hero, but, but um, you know, the, the one fan that really stands out to me is the young boy whose family traveled down from uh, Ontario. He loved Rowdy Telez when he played for the blue Jays. Um, he struggles with autism and just had this connection with Rowdy and was really set on seeing Rowdy play. So the family drove down and the mom just Rowdy made their, their year by carving out some time to go uh, spend some time with, with the kid. And then he hit like the winning Homer that day or something. So that was a kind of a special moment. So Brad, you always ask us for these things. And then we give you five answers. Yeah. Those are my, <laughs> that's a good thing. Though. You're talking about five good guys. Hey. That's awesome. You should be. Yeah. <laughs> And Tim, are you giving it to yourself? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Vinny <laughs> Rotino. Vinny yeah, Rotino's Vinny about Rotino, to get a vote. Uh, no, I, uh, I, I would, I'd probably go Suter. I just feel like Suter yeah. just... Yeah. It, it's almost like he he can't just be around himself, which is in the best <laughs> way possible. Um, everywhere he goes, he just exudes joy. When you get to the field as early as, as I am able to do, they let me in with my multi-pass. I sit there and I can, I talk to him in the dugout. When he walks by, I see everyone that he talks to. He says hi to everybody. He goes back behind where the people stand, where they're on the field, on the, I don't even know what you call it, but the, the warning track behind the cage during batting practice. Um, I don't even know if he knows everybody there, but he's always over there talking to people. Uh, every time he gets done with batting practice and comes in, he'll take a ball and roll it to, to people that are back there. Um, just that stuff, it goes overlooked a lot of times. Um, but he's doing this even away from the field and in some of his campaigns. So that takes a lot of energy and to still do your job on the field because baseball is such a hard game. Uh, everybody that we've brought up here um, has that extra element because baseball is so hard and it makes you selfish. It just does because it makes you go, you need to be better. You need to think about yourself and getting your craft better and figure out why you can't hit or figure why you can't pitch or something like that. So to think outside the bun a little bit and think about others while you're going through this, you know, this stressful uh, job, it's it's elite. And and these everyone that we named, they're they're special figures, I think. And uh, props to the Brewers for having uh, these kind of guys in, in the truckloads. Suter was like the dad. He was trying to keep everybody off their phone. Yeah. Love you, dad. <laughs> right? Like how many times down the stretch is like, well, trying to keep guys off their phones. So we got a ping pong table. Yeah. Well, I heard a story uh, just yesterday. Craig Kashan was telling me uh, we were talking about council. And he said that years ago when there was a rain delay, like when they're on the road and there was a rain delay, they had to do fill in like Brewers Live had to like come in and fill in for those rain delays like we do. Thank you, everybody, for watching Bally Sports Wisconsin. Um, but anyway, uh, 
there had to be a guy that Craig had to talk to. Like they're like, go in the clubhouse, you know, and talk to somebody. So, so Kashan would go in there and Craig council was his guy every single time. And Craig would be like, really me again. And he's like, yeah, would you <laughs> and council every time? So they'd sit in the dugout and they would just shoot the breeze. And, um, he goes, you know, that that's still sticks with him, you know, however many decades later. So I don't know. I just, I think good guys are, are, are what the brewers look for, because at the end of the day, you want these people to uh, do life together for seven months. You have to be, you know, there's a certain type of guy you want to hang around with. So real quick, I want to give some shout outs to things that people probably never see is, um, I mean, really, I think in most fans eyes, these are anticipated, but Rowdy Tellez yesterday, 20 minutes before the, you know, the game, before stretching supposed to happen, goes out and he signs for about 60 fans along the right field foul line. Brent Suter and Devin Williams, every Sunday or every Wednesday afternoon game, they would sit and sign so many autographs as they finish their warmups. Like, I don't think... Suter, I think a lot of people expect that from. I think Devin Williams is a surprising name, but that guy gives a lot back to fans. Uh, you know, I've seen Christian Yelich spend a lot of time, especially on the road with road fans. So some of the guys who, and there's plenty more, like when it just comes to like being nice to fans that deserve treatment. Mike Brasso, I think we talk about the people who would pay to watch, uh, you know, uh, batting practice behind the cage. I think he gave out a ball to every child there every single time. He made sure every child went home with a ball. And when I talked to him about it, he's like, yeah, I remember being the kid who won the ball. So, you know, just nice things. But we're going to move on. We're taking another break. And when we return, it's rapid round time, boys. Ooh. Welcome back to our final rapid round of 2022 for the regular season. I did that a little behind the scenes. I had to stop recording the first time we came that in, and both times Tim gave me the same your insane look when I did the multiple <laughs> R rapid round. Because <laughs> I always think you're messing up. So, you're like, it's the... Br- 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 and I'm like, it's happening. <laughs> Brad's glitching. He, fin- he finally broke oh, the, my internet. The, I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. The program has malfunctioned. <laughs> All right. We're going to do some predictions for, you know, who's going to take it all this year. We want to talk about road trips and talk a little bit about, you know, spooky season. We got to give spooky season more time. So let's get started with the Adam McAlvey. Adam, give us your World Series prediction. Who's taking on who and who's winning it all? Well, I mean, this is so boring, but I think it's going to be Dodgers Astros. So I'm going to pick something else because that's too obvious. The two number one seeds. So I will go Braves over Mariners in the World Series. All right. The Mariners, though, would have to get through the Astros after getting through the Blue Jays. Um, But I love that team. They have a cheesehead and Jared Kelnick. And um, it was really uh, cool to watch them clinch and conjure memories of 2008 at Miller Park because um, it was the same vibe in Seattle after 20 years, 20 plus years. All right, Tim, World Series prediction. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I'm looking at the the standings right here now, the postseason picture, because <laughs> I didn't know who all was in it. Um, 
I don't know. I, I, I don't want to say the Cardinals, but I feel like they're going to beat the Phillies. And it's hard to pick a team that's going to wait five days, too. I, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think that's a disadvantage. Um, if the Dodgers lose out, it might be for that reason. They had to sit around and wait for five days. But it's hard to say that the Yankees can't make it. I feel like they got so much they can do. Um, ooh, this is a tough one. I may, I don't know. I may say Braves and Yankees. I don't know why. Probably because their logos are at this like because towards the middle. You grew on up this... in the nineties, and that's all <laughs> yeah. we saw for yeah, yeah, maybe so. Nostalgia. All right, I I do like the Braves and Yankees matchup, and for the first time ever, I'm rooting for the Yankees to make the World Series, and it hurts me because, as a lot of Brewers fans know, being a Brewers fan and being a small market, you have to hate teams that have the luxury of spending hundreds of millions of dollars to just suddenly become a good team, but. Aaron Judge had a historic season. He's the first notable homegrown Yankee in a long, long time. And I want to see him do it on the grandest stage. Like I, I think that's good for baseball, and what's good for baseball is good for all 30 MLB teams. So Judge being on the biggest stage of them all in front of a national audience, I think that's the best thing. And then the Braves just, they, they have a fun team. They it's a fun team to watch, and they do a lot of things well. They have good starting pitching. They have a great offense. They have great defense. It's it's a team you that if I'm not in it, it's a team I can watch. We so should almost we should I'm almost go do teams we don't want in the <laughs> Cardinals, Phillies, <laughs> Cardinals, Cardinals, Padres. Yeah, <laughs> I want the Cardinals and Phillies to go down to a tie where they both get eliminated. I know that's literally impossible, but that's what I want. All right, Tim, I feel like I'm going to really focus on your expertise here. Okay. Mm-hmm. What's the favorite thing you ate on the road this season? Expertise, food. Um, so in uh, in Miami, I uh, got to go down there and it was, I had a rapist, which is a Venezuelan um, pocket, I guess you would say. It's almost like a corn-based pocket uh, and stuffed with shredded meat um, sprinkled with like huge chunks of cheese. They have it actually here. We've talked about this before on the podcast. Uh, this is a, a special stand that they, that they have in left field. And I was with one of the beat writers for the Marlins and we went out there and had a rapas and sat and watched everybody play catch in the outfield and a little bit of batting practice. So that was kind of cool. I love walking on the concourse and eating the food at different places. And uh, yeah, that was, they actually have really good food in Miami, the stadium. All right, Adam. You're going to think I'm making this up, but in St. Louis, you're making places, this up. There is a Thai restaurant that is downtown. Jack Talk Thai. And I had this Thai soup that apparently the owner came over and was very proud that they served because it's only made in northern Thailand. It's this obscure soup. And it kind of was like a Tom Ka sort of thing, but it was easily the best thing I've ever eaten on the road. Wow. And it was at a Thai restaurant in St. Louis. Huh. What do you know? <laughs> that sounds like the start of a mystery novel. It was yeah. at a Thai restaurant in St. Louis. Thai man yeah. Into it. yeah. <laughs> That's true. Very good. My mouth's so, watering thinking about it. I'm in Arizona. There is this Chinese restaurant that makes these jalapeno poppers that I think about Ooh. until I go back to Arizona. Mm. 
it's they have like a different type of breading on them they stuff them it's almost like you're eating like a sushi version like a philadelphia deep roll but deep fried version of a jalapeno popper and they they drench them in eel sauce and as a man who loves fried sushi and jalapeno poppers i get that it's spring training and it's not quite the same as eating on the road trips but that's something a meal i think about until i go back to arizona every year all right spoopy season adam favorite scary movie and or show for the halloween season oh show <laughs> what was the movie where um it was like Hocus kids Pocus. no <laughs> it was like kids in the woods and it was kind of sort of like shot point of view and that was a new thing blair witch are you asking blair witch what project? blair witch is blair called? witch project <laughs> i couldn't remember, remember that? the name i just couldn't remember the name oh, of yeah. it yeah that there will never be another movie like that because now with like Instagram and whatever snap and TikTok and everything, you'd never get to the surprise of that movie because I went into that movie, not knowing really what it was. And it was the most terrifying fun experience I've ever had at a movie theater. And you'll never have that today because everyone would know everything about it. Tim, that's a good point. I saw that movie when I was in high school, my buddy, uh, actually when I was in high school, my house burned down. So I was staying at this hotel, me and my family. And to cheer me up, my best friend in high school was like, hey, let's go to a movie. And the new movie was Blair Witch Project. So I jump in his car, we drive over there. We didn't know it was going to be sold out. So there were only two tickets left. And there was one all the way in the back to the right. And there was one all the way in the front to the left. <laughs> he goes, he goes, hey, man, why don't you take the front row? I feel like I'm not gonna be able to see much in the back. So I sat front row all the way to the left with this handheld herky-jerky motion camera for an hour and a half and i was just trying not to have a seizure good movie though great movie <laughs> all right tim what's your favorite spoopy movie I, I i love hocus pocus i'm not a big scary movie person i learned yesterday uh nick pope who's one of the in-house camera people um, around the stadium he uh he's really into like filming and all that kind of stuff um and people were talking about it. And it's so filming in the woods is like the easiest thing to do. Like anytime you see a show that's in the woods, it's like super like low budget, right? Cause it's anyone can pick up a camera and go in the woods and shoot. That's your background. There's not really a good setting. Um, so when you talk about scary movies, it's like, they're always in the woods. Um, which I guess Hocus Pocus is a little bit in the woods, but I love Hocus Pocus. It's very nostalgic and I don't know. It's an easy watch. I watch it every year. Um, I remember watching Scream for the first time too. That was, to me, that was a game changer in a lot of ways. So I don't know those those two movies maybe. Uh, every Halloween I go back and I watch Nightmare on Elm Street. Why? Good one. <laughs> it's just it's not because it's scary, but because it's just corny and fun, and uh, it, you know, there's a lot of things you can pick up on about the movie that you know maybe weren't really discussed back in the day. Uh, so. And then also, I'll always do a Kubrick movie, so why not The Shining? That's a great choice. There's nothing like... It, doesn't it feel like Jack Nicholson's playing himself, though? Uh, I'm fine with that. <laughs> That's what scares me about The Shining, is I'm like, I don't feel like he's acting. There was a follow-up to The Shining with Kiefer Sutherland, right? No, Ewan McGregor. Not Kiefer Sutherland, uh, Ewan but... McGregor. Um, Ewan McGregor. Ewan, oh, my God, Ewan, I'm so Ewan, bad. Ewan, yeah. Doctor, yeah, something. you're right. You're right. I'm just oh, bad at movies, and I'm just yeah. So that is all right. So Doctor Sleep, right? Story. 
That is a sequel to not The Shining, but the book The Shining. Oh. Is there a difference? So it doesn't play off the the it doesn't play off the movie canon. It plays off the book. Oh canon. wow! Okay, well, off season project. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think it's uh, time to wrap things up. We're going to see you throughout the regular season or throughout the off season. We'll talk postseason, but regular season's done. It's our first. Full season of Brewers Unfiltered. Thank you for joining us all year long. Don't forget, follow our host, Tim Dillard, at Dim Tillard on Twitter and Instagram. He'll be back on TV sooner than later. We'll let you know when. Look for Adam McAlvey at Adam McAlvey on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. He's going to have articles all off-season long at uh, Brewers.com. I couldn't remember yeah, our wait, own website well, yeah. because something popped, say, something popped up on my screen. It just really distracted uh, me. Okay. <laughs> And, of course, make sure you're following the Brewers on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Yeah.